Um, Charlie Gladstone here, and welcome to lucky episode 13 of my Mavericks podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Um, today's chat is uh, with a theologian, an ordained minister um, called Peter Francis. Um, Peter's had a huge amount to do with a kind of radical agenda in the church, um, and I thought he'd be a really interesting person to speak to because of that. For the last 20 years, pretty much exactly, he has been the warden of Gladstone's Library. Um, Gladstone's Library is Britain's only prime ministerial and residential library, and um, it was created uh, as a public monument to William Gladstone, the four times Prime Minister of Britain. Um, and it created uh, a place for him to hold his 33,000 books that he had um, collected. He'd actually read and annotated about 22,000 of those. Anyway, it is Britain's only uh, residential and um, Prime Ministerial Library. And it's also a fascinating place and, and a genuine centre of um, liberal thought. and. Um, Although there's an element of nepotism because um, I'm actually on the board of the library, in fact I think I'm the president of the library, um, although the least academic amongst the board, um, it is a fascinating place and William Gladstone was obviously my um, relative, he was my great-great-grandfather, but this isn't a nepotistic chat. Um, this is a chat with a, a true maverick, uh, someone who's done and continues to do really unusual and, and perhaps in many cases unique things in a really interesting way and to do them really well. So um, I'm speaking today to Peter Francis. Before I move on to Peter, I, I wanted to thank you all for uh, downloading this. I had no idea that as many people were going to be as keen and enthusiastic about this podcast as there have been. And um, I've had so many people listening to it and so much positive feedback and thank you for that. I thought it might interest you um, nevertheless to hear what my um, mother-in-law had to say about it. Um, I do, by the way, love my mother-in-law, um, and I think that she kind of um, loves me, or at least quite likes me in return. She's been my mother-in-law for nearly 30 years, so it's good that we get on. But this is what she said to me about my podcast. She said, I had to turn it off. I was so bored. I have no idea how it got onto my phone, but it went on and on and on. So um, then she suggested that it might be a little bit more interesting if I interviewed her. And um, when I said I thought people would be really bored by that, she said, my God, you're rude, Charlie. Anyway, there's no, um, there's no accounting for taste. Um, thank you to you for being positive. And without any further ado, here is Peter Francis. Let's um, go back to the beginning. Um, you've been at the library for 20 years this year, haven't you? Yes, flown by. And I, I was very scornful of my predecessor who was there 21 years, and I used to think, oh, ridiculous. You can't yeah, the man, the, yeah, the man hasn't got, <laughs> no, hasn't got a life. I know, and lo and behold, I think I'm going to beat him. But, but before that, I mean, you always strike me as someone who's really unusual because I don't think of ordained people as being like you. I mean, I think you're, you're a very sort of cultured, approachable, you're a man of the world, and... I know that you're a kind of you're, you're a radical member of the church in terms of your views and your work, but is that is, do you think you are unusual as being a sort of you're incredibly to me, and this is really laymanish and it's not meant to be rude, but you're just very you're very normal for a 
for a member of the cloth? Well, I suppose um, I suppose I, I hit a particularly interesting time in in the sort of church life. So, um, you know, as soon as I was ordained, really, we were into the, the struggle about women, and I got in, involved in the movement for the ordination of women in in quite a deep way. And then, you know, you'd finish that, and then I, I think there's a sort of liberation. A, a, a liberal reflex that you, once you've sort of done one liberation, you should just instinctively know that there's another to do. And but then, did, so did you, did you join the church in order to be a radical, as it were? No, I, I didn't. I mean, it, it, it came upon me slowly, I think. I, 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 I had a sense of, of wanting to go into the church. I was going to be a lawyer. Indeed, I went to law school, and mm. I just knew I was going into the church. I mean, the problem was I didn't really go to church. Right. Um, and always found it really slightly boring, to be honest. Uh, but I had this compulsion to feel that I should be a priest. Um, and uh, it, it sort of physically made me ill, actually. I mean, now I just send myself to a psychiatrist, I think. But so I, was I went that, to see very, people. that was before you went St Andrews, or...? Yeah, and so then then... And part of uh, the deal with my parents, my, my father comes from a long line of lawyers, and I was going to do Francis, Francis, and Francis, you know. I yes. Mean, I was gonna, yeah. Uh, and uh, I, uh, part of the deal was, yes, okay. You, well, I think he thought if I went and read theology for four years, I would get this sort of daft idea out of my head. And I suppose doing theology was when I sort of started to feel um, more radical and, and so on. I, I am. Um, I was very influenced by um, the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and staying also at St Andrews when I was there was, for a term, was Paulo Freire, and uh, you know all that sort of pedagogy of the oppressed stuff. I mean, really, uh, was I, I was absolutely fascinated by it, and and it it sort of has a deep meaning for me, I think, and. Um, and then you know, then I went off and got ordained, started in a very sort of middle-class parish. And if you don't watch out, I did 56 funerals my first year as right. a curate. Um, and you rather forget the radical theology if you know. Because you're mean. dealing with 56 sad, sad yes, families that's, and, that's yeah, right. and the practicalities um, of your job. And so from there, I, I went to London University as a university chaplain, and that's where my involvement with the sort of ordination of women and, and setting up a sort of radical group that invited women ordained overseas to come and or, um, do communion services and so on in my university chapel. Um, and that got me in a certain amount of... Just going back a little bit. Mm. So as a young man, you actually, you just felt, I, ha I have to do this. Yeah. But it wasn't that sort of calling of seeing a vision or something. It was just like you kind of knew... It was a, it was a strange thing, really. I was... <coughs> Going off to law school um, on the Monday, and uh, my, I was with my parents' house, and they were going on holiday on the Sunday. And I packed their car with them and waved them off, and then I yelled after them. They didn't hear. I don't want to be a lawyer, I want to go into the church. And I'd never had that thought before. That is amazing. Yeah. So you, you presume <clears throat> you've pondered that moment endlessly since. Yeah. Do you know what was going on? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm writing a memoir at the moment, actually, and, and uh, I, I sort of pondered it, and I can see how that might come out of my sort of background. But, uh, but that was the first time, honestly, I'd articulated it or, or had a, a conscious thought about it.
And were you were you a very academic child? No, I was lazy as hell. I mean, I, but I mean, you were, I, clev- I think, were you clever? Were you clever? I think I was probably way. quite clever. I was just lazy. I yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I sort of knew what the minimum to do to be okay was. This is such a recurring theme mm. with um, people I talk to. With this is is the kind of waking up at a certain age and figuring out yeah. how how to do things that interest them rather than just sort of clearing the bar by a centimetre yeah. or so. That's right. And that, that was the same with you. That was the same, yes. Am I right in saying it was called the um, St Hilda yeah, organisation? That, that and that, that was dedicated to the, to the sort of campaign to... Yeah, it was a funny thing, women. really. I was on holiday um, in Portugal just before Christmas one year. Um, and, uh, you know, in those days before we all had phones and iPads and so on. Trying to find an English paper was sort of part of the holiday experience. And, and then paying about six quid for Yeah, it. exactly. Yeah. But, you know, I found one. I found uh, uh, an independent, I think. Um, and it was uh, six days old or something. But uh, in it, which, <coughs> you know, I, that was the sort of thing I fell on and read, was an article by a woman called Monica Furlong um, about... Uh, how pathetic liberals were about doing anything. They would say the words, um, but they would never actually get down to it. And that was the problem she saw with the ordination of women. Well, she said, I believe in this, but I can't <coughs> yeah, really be you asked. Know, particularly to do bishops anything. and others, they would say, you know, oh, yes, yes, we're in favour of it, but, you know, let's make haste slowly on this, or, or yes. that sort of stuff. Um, and uh, <coughs> and I, I sort of recognised the truth in that. Didn't think any more about it, but. About two weeks later, I didn't know Monica, but I, I had a phone call from her out of the blue and said, we're forming a community of a slightly delinquent community that believes in, uh, in, inclusive, um, in an inclusive church and inclusive language and so on. Um, you have a lovely chapel at, at Queen Mary College. We want you to come into partnership with us and, and uh, we want to have this community. And but she presumably there. heard that you were... Uh you had sort of reasonably radical ideas. Yeah, we had some friends in common, so yeah. you know, I think she thought it was a possible, but I think she thought I might be one of those liberals who sort of, well, yes, but... Uh, but I'm quite uh, busy at the moment but, doing yes. my day job. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I said yes, and, uh, you know, it was a wonderful experience. Every Sunday at six o'clock we had um, inclusive language worship. Um, and it was always taken by uh, a woman priest, usually from America or New Zealand, who was slightly ahead of us, and people popped out of the woodwork. It was interesting at first, it was sort of people who wanted to be ordained or or, um, feminists who found the church sort of unbearably sexist, but then all sorts of other people who felt excluded from the church, um, gay, lesbian people particularly, and it became very quickly about a hundred strong community um, and it, it was a wonderful experience. Uh, it, it was a radically different sort of church so um, particularly in the early ages, early days um, we would, somebody would make the bread, another person would get the wine and we wouldn't have a sermon as such, we would have a subject and we would all talk about it. No sort of priestly hijinks like giving the absolution from sins, we went round in the circle and forgave each other and so on, and we just went and lit candles in silence for prayers and things. And, it, it, you know, it, it was a very sort of meaningful 
bit of, of worship. We were lucky and we had sort of some one or two sort of quite well-known liturgists who, who wrote nice liturgies for us and so on. Um, and uh, it, it worked well. So um, what, was the, what was the wider impact of that? I mean, it's really wider impact was uh, it, uh, the BBC, um, I, think, I think it was on Everyman programme, um, filmed it. Um, and it uh, then got quite infamous. And we um, issued a book of prayers which called God Mother and that sort of stuff. And that Daily Mail didn't like that. And yeah, so, I assume yeah. a lot of the church didn't the church like it didn't either. Like it, including some women who thought we were, you know, who urged us to be patient. Um, well, so exactly the same as you were talking yeah. about earlier, the yeah. sort of liberal notion. And, you know, all it needed was women to work hard in parishes and people would see the sense of it and that sort of thing. This was... Um, antagonistic and, and would upset people and so on. But I really think it's important that, uh, I mean, that's, that's fair enough, that approach, I think. But I think it's important there are people who, who push it forward as well. And, um, you know, I, I think it, it played its, its little part. My knowledge on this is very, um, is, is very scant, and I imagine a lot of people listening. I mean, what, what, so what is the church's attitude now to women, gay and lesbian? Yeah, it, certainly with women, there are now women bishops in this country and women have been ordained priests for some time now. But, um, uh, and, but, you know, the language is still very sort of hierarchical and patriarchal and so on. And, and um, so there's plenty more to change. And I, I guess it will change slowly, although there's always a sort of backlash at a traditionalism that, that gets in the way of that. And of course, traditionalism is critical to the survival of the church on some levels, I imagine. Yeah. But I mean, is there, is there a way in which you feel that the church is still being too slow? Because presumably, yeah. I mean, we all know, we all read every week if we come across an article that church congregation numbers are dropping in most places. I mean, sh I, I've, it, it sort of amazes me that whilst I can probably get hold of the kind of arguments that these things are not allowed by the Bible or whatever it is, why, you know, why is the church still resistant to, for example, gay rights? Well, I mean, it isn't. We're stuck in that okay. sort of I'm... liberal thing of, of um, you know, that we can't, for instance, do, um, in the Church of England, you can't do blessings of gay marriages and you can't certainly can't do gay marriages and so on. So, you know, the, there's a long way to go. I mean, actually, oddly, um, when I was in Scotland, you could do blessings of gay marriages because, um, you know, if there were gay people who were committing to each other um, in the congregation, you could, I mean, they weren't marriages as such, no. but, you know, you could just quietly have a very nice yes. service for it, whereas sort of with the, the searchlight on it, in a sense, now, it's become harder to do that thing. Actually, the Episcopal Church of Scotland can now marry gay people, they're slightly ahead. And so, do you, I mean, you know, my, my, my sense amongst my um, friends who are C of E is of a complete sort of lack of interest in church on the whole. Now that, I, I know that is not the case for everyone, but I mean, it amazes me that those, the powers that be, those that have the opportunity to yeah, affect okay. change, kind of can't see that this is Whatever their I, theological I, or intellectual arguments, I, I they can't see the, the progress. The decline will be very rapid because, as you say, you know, there's a there's a generation of parents now who have no 
knowledge or background of the church. And so rather than being a gradual decline, it goes down in great big steps, I think. Yes, you, know, the, you get a whole generation be, suddenly. Soon there'll be sort of grandparents who have no knowledge of the church yes. and so on. You know, and it'll, I think it'll be really But I mean, church quick. is a good thing and a wonderful thing for all those things that are quite fashionable now, such as community well, and, and, you know, harking back to I sort know. of traditional ways. And yet the church that you're a member of and, and plenty of others just ha don't, Seem no, to have and, and that I, I think there is a taste for for something different. But I mean, I, when I it was at the Hay Festival a few years ago, um, two of the big sellout things were um, Alain de Botton's Religion for Atheists, and that seemed to touch a nerve. I think yes, people understood that you needed to say sorry, you needed to gather. You know, there were a whole lot of sort of things like that that are, are important, I think. And the other was um, Richard Holloway, whose book, Leaving Alexandria, was um, about him ending with him sort of chucking his mitre into the Thames and sort of saying, plague on all your houses. Yes. And my thing really would be if only people could sit still for 20 minutes every day, the world would be a much better mm. place. And uh, certainly that's what I try and make people do at the library with the services that we have, just uh, bit of poetry, a lot of silence, and uh, yes. breaking a bread, as it were. You know, that's uh, yeah. with, with the sort of hierarchical language away as far as possible. So moving on from the church, um, you're, you're, you know, you're now, you've been at, you've been the warden of Gladstone's library, and, and um, we'll talk about that a bit in a minute. And you're about 60? I'm 64. Are you still, I, I knew you were coming up to the old, old retirement age. Do you still feel as energised by this stuff now? I'm absolutely fascinated by the person of Jesus. I think he was a, a radical prophet in his time. And, you know, if we could only get back to what he actually said and did, and we can get pretty close to what he mm. we think was genuine, and it's very little actually, but, uh, you know, he's basically a social prophet who, whenever he comes against religion, seems to be against it. Right. You know, like the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, the sort of antagonisms, the Pharisees, and all of those sort of things that we vaguely remember from, from yes. way back. But, you know, he's, he preaches about a better world. Yes. And, uh, and including everyone in it. Radically for his day and age, he was very um, inclusive of women, which was sort of unheard of in, in Judaism yes. at that time. But so, and, and, and I suppose for you, to an extent, the um, progress is some sort of oxygen. In other words, had you made no progress in the last 30 years, you'd probably be thinking, oh, sod it, I can't, yes, you I know, I, I just have no I more energy for this. Law again. Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, so now you're, you're, you've been the warden of the library for 20 years, hmm. and um, I, I, obviously a lot of people listening don't really know about Gladstone's library and, and um, I don't want this to be too much sort of nepotistic um, because I'm also highly involved <laughs> in the library. But I mean, give us a kind of 30 second pricey of, 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 of what the library is and your, your work there. Well, okay, I mean, it's, it's simply in a way, it's 250,000 books at one end and 26 bedrooms at the other. And so people come to use the books, or they have not used the books to find space and quietness in which they can write, research, think. And I think um, that at its heart is what it is. Interesting is we've looked at Gladstone's original donation that 
the library is built around, we found I'd always been told that it was mainly theological. It's rubbish, actually. It's mainly literary culture, I mean, classical and contemporary. And then it's history and politics and then religion. And so we, we sort of arranged courses around those three core areas. And on the whole, the people who come and use it are around those three core areas. And, uh, so the people who use it often come to write books, mm. but a lot of those books are not based um, on anything other than kind of loose notions of liberalism that connects them all, I suppose. Is that right or not? That, that's right. I mean, I, I think um, when we changed the name from St Daniel's Library to Gladstone's Library, it was an important move, actually, and because it suddenly linked us with this tradition of liberalism. Yes, yeah, so St Daniel's Library was its name for this yeah, first and that contained a sort years. of religious fear for people, yes. I think. Um, you know, what would happen? Is it like a monastery? Would, would you have to spend their whole time praying and all that sort of stuff? So to take away that threat and, I mean, we always had to say St Daniel's Library is Gladstone's Library, so why not just call it Gladstone's Library? And we did, and it immediately widened the clientele. And it's people, I mean, if, if you don't have liberal views and opposed to it, you're not going to come to a library called Gladstone's. No, if you know anything about yeah. Gladstone, yeah. yes, yeah. So, and, and, and astonishingly, you have something like 90% occupancy all year. Yeah, 92 last year. 92%. Um, going to beat that this year, I think. And, and, and almost all of those are readers or writers. Yeah. And, 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 they, and the whole idea is that they sit down and, and have dinner and breakfast and drinks yeah, I mean, and things and chat to each other. And The idea of Gladstone, I think it's... I don't know, I keep on creating Gladstone in the image I want Gladstone to be in, if you see what I mean. But the idea that I think Gladstone had was that you would browse the books and you would sort of browse each other and your ideas and so on. And somehow that sort of mix of sitting near people at meals who are working hard on something and you're working hard on something, it's, it sort of creates a, you know, it, it creates a sort of atmosphere of of work and interest and ideas. And, and, and the, the business side of it, which is the bedrooms and the food, mm. are deliberately by statute geared to be affordable, aren't they, yeah, as well? They so, so it works for writers. It isn't some sort of luxury boutique hotel. I mean, the rooms are extremely nice, but... but I mean, it's, it's the should price... be affordable. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and then there are sort of discounts for writers and clergy and, you know, and others. So, I mean, Gladstone said no one should be prevented from coming by financial constraint. So if someone comes and says, you know, I must come, we usually try and find some way of, of getting them in. There are scholarships we give out. We give out a, and you have writers uh, in residence. We have writers in residence of, of um, um, just a, a couple of political ones each year and, uh, and four, at least four, um, novelists or poets. You, you have rather a good track record of, of selecting them. I mean, a Amy Liptrop's book was one of the, yeah, the outrunners. Yeah, we, we, we got it in its, um, with a contract, but not yet published. And, and uh, the other great success, I guess, is uh, Sarah Perry, who um, had only just got a contract, and, but only if she conditioned she rewrote her, her first book. And uh, yeah, and so we've sort of reveled in their success. And it, it's, we get a lot of applications for our Rice and Residence programme. We get 80 to 90, and uh, co my colleague Louisa and I sort of pare that down to a manageable number for, for four or five judges, um, and, uh, and we then select. I mean, it seems to me, talking a little bit about you know, your past, that you've, 
in the best possible way, you've moulded the library in your image. I mean, there's also, there's, in addition to, the, um, to those residents that we talked about, there are quite a lot of film courses and mm. language courses. I mean, talk, so film, I think, is one of your, I always imagine is one of your principal interests of many, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've always, I'm a bit nerdy about film, really. I don't go very often now, but, um, but I, I like to keep up with what's out and, and uh, I watch a lot of DVDs and so on and, um, um, and, uh, and I always have been really interested in that and we have a film and theology course uh, sometimes a couple a year and uh, I've, it, this was a sort of cunning way of, of spending a weekend or, or a few days sort of being able to watch films with a clear conscience as it were but I, I remember the, that the first uh, woman whose bed I sat by as a curate who was dying, um, I was obviously much more nervous, I think, than she was. But she said to me, don't worry, Vicar, I've read the Gospels and I've seen Ben-Hur. And I perfect. So, but you're also happy, for example, I know this is one of them, to, to show and, and discuss films like The Antichrist, which, which yeah. presumably mm. is, you know, quite an intellectually challenging thing. Yeah, or do I, you I, find I, that everyone around you is so liberal that everyone just thinks it's all great? I think people who come to the film of theology think I, I um, only do really gloomy, depressing films, because I, I, on the whole, those are the ones with the, the most interesting ideas in them. Um, and uh, yeah, Lars von Trier is sort of, it's laden with unpleasantness very often, but is laden with religious ideas too, of sort of atonement and, and so on. And uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I would like him as a person, but I, and I'm not no, sure I'm not sure he's very likable. No, and I'm not sure I really like the films in a sense, but they're really interesting. Yes, yeah, mm. yeah, and so you don't, you don't mind bringing that sort no. of debate in. How it's only I... interesting anyway if you have people who challenge you, I see. Yeah, we've had, we used to just have a film night every year, every week, um, and uh, used to, you know, just put it on. We're too busy now and to be able to find the time and so on, but I, I got into trouble once or twice with uh, people saying this is um, Mulholland Drive, which has a rather steamy sort of lesbian scene. Yes. And, you know, people wrote to the Church Times or something saying I was peddling pornography. And uh, I quite, I quite, I, I, yes, I, I like that film. Yeah, but it's, I like it's that extremely film. hard. To, if you can help me with what's going on, then I'd I know. Be very, well, very I, if I had the key <laughs> to it, ditto Twin Peaks in a yeah, sense. Yes, but, you know, but it. Yeah, you're also a massive reader. I mean, you consume books, not quite like Gladstone, who read what twenty two thousand or something yes. during his life. But, but what you? I mean, you you read what? two or three books a week still, despite running this huge organisation? No, I'm not quite as many as that. I have spells in, in the year where I have to read an awful lot, so before Rice and Residence yes. judging and that sort of thing. And I, I try to have something I dip in and out of that's sort of um, theological or political um, at my desk in sort of free moments, and, uh, and I always have a novel, sometimes two, on the go. What, what's, the, what's been your favourite novel recently? Well, I'm, I'm reading um, the new John le Carre at the moment, and I'm loving it, actually. I mean, I, what I really like about John le Carre is he's, for a man who's getting on a bit, he's always incredibly current with his sort of, you know, his take on British society. Yes, British that's morals. very interesting, So, which is why his 
old books are real period pieces. Yeah. Yeah, I've never and, thought and, of that. And, and yeah. the present one's interesting because it, it's a sort of, it goes back to the spy who came in from the cold and, and sort of, and that sort of gets resurrected in, in today's world. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't have thought of reading a John mm. McCarry book. I, mean, I like the, I, I, I like the one or two films that I've seen recently, of, you know, that are recent adaptations yeah. of his books. But um, so one of your big things at the library is to introduce the Islamic reading room. And mm. Whenever I'm talking to people about the library, that's one of the things I try to drop in because I think it's a really good illustration of what you're doing. Tell me a bit about that. Well, it was when um, the bicentenary of, of Gladstone's um, birth. Um, came in, in 09, we were trying to think what to do. And rather than have another statue of Gladstone. <laughs> um, there are plenty we, of those. There are plenty of those. We thought, actually, what would he want? And, and we thought, actually, the, the lack of understanding and the disinformation and misinformation between the Christian West and Islam was disturbing. Um, and getting worse. And getting worse. Um, and if we could do any little thing to um, begin to educate people about Islam, um, then that would be a good thing. And uh, so we, we set about getting a good collection of Islamic material. And uh, what, what struck me is um, how hostile people were to it. I mean, people left the library, left membership of the library because of it. And people, and then we had windows broken and so on. And I don't understand, sorry, why? why, why? Um, well, I think they, I think it's just um, the intolerance of, of, uh, of a particular part of, of the right in, in this country, feeling that... What, sort of post-9-11 kind of... Yeah, and, you know, you would have thought I'd built a mosque and, you know, was demanding that everyone who came there was, um, was Muslim. But, you know, it couldn't be further from the truth. What it was was for us to learn about Islam. Yes, but um, also to, to, to show that we were open, open not yeah. only just in the library, but as a society. No, and, you know, I'm, I'm pleased we have a, a Muslim um, trustee. And I'm, I'm pleased that we've had some really good Muslim scholars and so on. And, uh, you know, it's a slow progress. I do have a difficulty with Islam. And when I sit down with Muslim friends or, or Zia, our trustee, that, you know, I'm inclusive by nature, I think. And I really struggle hard with the role of women and also... Um, you know, the, the attitude to gays. Yes. And, you know, I find that really difficult. And there's a sort of... But that doesn't mean you line. should ignore it. No, it, it doesn't. I mean, it, and, and that's actually not that different to the work that we were talking about that you were doing it, when exactly. you were a young man. And we have to remember that, you know, it's not many years hence that... Or, or in, in um, Orthodox Judaism, it's as bad. Yes. And, and uh, you know, there are certain elements of, of right-wing Catholicism, whereas... Pretty bad too. too. Yeah, and uh, yes, uh, but yes, yeah. Or right-wing Protestantism. And how many um, books are there in the Islamic reading room? There's there are about just over two thousand, I think. So I mean, it's not. It's huge, amazing. But it's. it's how, a, how do you? F I mean, how does one go about creating a collection essentially from scratch like that? Um, we we were very lucky, and we we um, had a, 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 
a very good Islamic, British Islamic scholar called Chris Hewer, who, who helped us with a sort of core collection. And then we wrote round and met a number of sort of um, Islamic academics and they suggested, because actually the easiest thing in the world is to say to the Saudis, we'd like to have some books and you would get container loads yes. of Wahhabism. Yeah. And, and you know, we wanted a really balanced collection. Yes, an intelligently put yeah. together library yeah. rather than and, just a whole load of books and on and the that subject. that was important to us. We yeah. got, we got a, some grants to do it and, uh, and we did it. So your, your, um, your, your day now, I mean, you're, you're running, you know, essentially, so the, the library bit, the books are a charity. Mm-hmm. And the the rest of the operation has to operate as a business. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you're running a staff in the high twenties, I think. Yeah, thirty three or four. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Even higher. Um, so what does your day involve? A, a, a normal day. I mean, do you find that you are that in many ways your academic and intellectual pursuits are consumed by those sort of things that have to be done, like you know, human resources and managing teams and accounts. Yeah. I and mean, all that stuff? I have a. There's a very good team of people at the library now and it you know it took a while to get it into place but um, but you know that we're all very committed to the place and all have I think a, a sort of commitment but that it. comes from you I think I mean I, I, I think that you've been you know I know it's taken you a long time but but you've molded that in your own image haven't you I mean you've yeah. had some you know as we all do running businesses yes. some nasty times and mm. sometimes you just have to kind of push through that, but yeah. that can't have been easy as well. No, that, that's right. I mean, and you know, I think anyone running a business finds that there are, there are difficulties. And, and, you know, I feel sorry for sort of people we, we sort of parted from. And, and in a way, when I first came, there was a different requirement of the library, which was to relax it. It was like a bit like my prep school in some ways, and it was run by bells, and there was a sort of pretense of it being an Oxbridge College with a sort of high table. I, the first thing I remember being told, you choose guests who you want to come and sit next to you at lunch and dinner. Right, like the captain on a ship or yeah. something. Yeah, right, and, you know, and, yeah. uh, uh, and you know, it just needed relaxing, and you know, so there were a group of people to do that. And, and then, um, you know, gradually we then sort of moved to a more, um, liberally focused thing and you needed another group of people for that and uh, you know that those who we've got now are all firmly inclusive and, and uh, I know really that, like it. that that you know you've got a very loyal staff I mean it does feel like it's got mm. your imprint over it now do you feel I mean obviously you're now trying to raise a lot of money to expand the library and to create a new resource but do you feel you know as it were to date that you've You've succeeded in kind of everything that you wanted beyond your wildest dreams. Yeah, or I, you know, I, I'm very happy with it, and I, I, I love the staff from whom I learn a lot. Um, you know, they, they, they uh, are younger than me and have different takes on liberalism, and uh, are probably rather more left wing than than I am now. But I, I suppose I used to be more left wing. I do. Well, I, I don't know if you heard this thing about Tory versus Labour voters. That when you reach something like I can't remember, but something like thirty nine years old, the chance of you sort of converting to Tory are about. I haven't done you know, that. They get, no, I know, I know, but I mean, there is a natural progression, yes, isn't is. it? Old uh, people are more conservative. Uh, interestingly, I've just been doing some work on, on Gladstone um, uh, uh, about this, really. And he sits down with Morley, his biographer and friend, in Beer Ritz, I think, 
And Morley says, well, you know, the usual step is that you become more right-wing as you get older. Um, and, and, you know, you less interested in liberty. And Gladstone replies, no, 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 it's, with me it's the opposite. You know, liberty has become really important to me. It didn't used to be, but it is now, and it's the key to everything I believe. Yeah, and, uh, okay. You know, and he gets more radical as he gets older. Yes, so maybe that'll be the case with you. I mean, so just, just to wind up, the, 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 the idea of this podcast is that it speaks to mavericks, and my, my definition of that is someone who does something against the flow and as a sort of convenient thing for this podcast, does it really well. You're, you're a true maverick because you're probably the only person doing a job like this in Britain. Do you ever reflect on that? Well, I, I love the library and I, I feel very comfortable there. And I have occasionally been asked to do other things. And they, I mean, in the church or quasi-churchy things. And they always seem wrong and would involve a sort of compromise, I feel. And yes. I feel um, happy and pleased to be, to be at the library. Yeah, it's, a, it's just, a, it's, it's just a, it seems like a good fit because, you know, you're doing what you do and, and it doesn't seem like anything that you do is wrong and therefore no one challenges you and that's quite unusual as well. Well, that's probably wrong in itself. I, and actually... Well, no, know. I mean, you've got a very challenging group of people <laughs> yeah. around you. I mean, you yeah. know, g give me a list of some of your trustees, for example. Yeah, so, you know, David Canadine or Patrick Derham, headmaster of Westminster, uh, you know, they wouldn't allow sort of sloppy thought or, or, would, or, or would pick you up on facts or whatever mm. very quickly. And, uh, you know, I, I, I find that's really interesting and I've enjoyed having sort of powerful, strong... And, and Damien Barr, who um, is not a, a man for meetings, but, but actually comes and talks to me quite often if he's in the library. And, you know, it, it, just his take on contemporary culture and so on is really interesting. Oh, yeah, he's a wonderful yeah. trustee, yeah. as well as a brilliant writer. Yeah. I keep trying to get him to the good life experience, so maybe if we big him up well, on perhaps this, we, yes, um, we, can, we, can, we can get yeah. him there. Great. Well, thanks, Peter. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. And so, that was Peter Francis. Um, thank you, Peter, very much. Um, I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, I hope that you enjoyed it. My aim has always been to try to cross as many different sort of disciplines and experiences as I possibly can. And with someone like Peter, it's quite hard to compress a really interesting and long career into what is effectively half an hour. But um, I think he, um, we achieved that today. And I will see you soon. I'm recording quite a few more podcasts in the coming weeks. So I'll be back soon. And thanks for being with me. See you soon. Bye.